All this week, we're talking about the steps to getting started with your food truck business on 10-Minute Food Truck Training. Hi, my name is Bill Moore, founder of foodtrucktraining.group, and welcome to the 10-Minute Food Truck Training Podcast. This is Getting Started Week, and today we're talking about those pesky rules that are designed to prevent you from earning a living. Local regulations are the third biggest challenge that you're going to encounter in your food truck business life. The other two, in case you're curious, are finding a really great location to set up on a daily basis and then finding a commissary. So we're at that third biggest challenge. You may find that you live in an area that restricts food vending via a certain number of permits allowed, so meaning that they only let so many vendors work within the city limits, or they might completely prohibit a mobile business You can choose to fight. You can choose to fight because many of the laws are really poorly written and often they can be overturned without much cost or effort because you got some brick and mortar restaurant that's already on its last legs anyway. So they want to blame somebody else for why they're failing and they say, it's these darn food trucks. We got to ban them. And then they'll give some really, really poor reasons why they should be banned. So here are some of the restrictions you might face. There's a ban on public property vending. They might limit the places where a vendor can sell. They might force them to partner with a private property owner to be able to even operate. And what that means is you can't set up on the side of the street somewhere. You have to be on private property. They might have entire areas that are off limits to vendors, and it often includes the best places in town, and they send you off to the areas where they know you're not going to be successful. They might ban you from setting up near brick-and-mortar businesses that sell the same or similar products. Here's what I got to say to that. If I choose to sell lobster and I set up in front of Red Lobster, chances are people that come to eat with me were never going to be going to Red Lobster in the first place. Because obviously my food's going to be different. My tastes are going to be different. My service style is obviously completely different because I'm not a sit-down restaurant. My food's basically fast food, but it's lobster. So I'm not competing with them directly. So I can't possibly hurt their business. Likewise, I'm not going to be hurt by them sitting behind me because the people that were going to go eat with them were already planning on eating with them. They wanted a sit-down dinner. They wanted to be waited on. They wanted whatever Red Lobster has on their menu. So selling a similar product is not a reason to be banned from sitting up near them. And quite frankly, the number of people that need to eat in a city is a finite amount of number, which is the entire population. They got to eat somewhere. So why should one business have a monopoly on people that eat because they're afraid of competition? They might actually prevent mobile vendors from stopping and parking unless you're flagged down by somebody. So you have to be driving in a circle and hoping that somebody waves their hand like they're looking for a taxi and then hope that there's enough room for you to pull off the road and be able to serve them. There are cities that try to do that. They may tell you you can only sit in a single spot for a certain amount of time, and it could be as low as a half hour before they make you move on. It could only be one hour. It could be two hours. So that means that you spend more of your time driving around than you do actually selling food. Or you might be restricted to certain hours of the day or not be allowed to open past a certain time of the day. So there's all kinds of little stupid restrictions that they put on you that they don't put on a brick-and-mortar restaurant. So they're treating you differently because you chose to sell food in a certain manner that's different than somebody else. And we all know what that word is called. If you're told by an official that street vending is not allowed, you want to ask them to see the regulation that says so. Could be they're interpreting it wrong. And then what you need to do is get a copy of that regulation and send it to the Institute for Justice. 
Their website is ij.org, and they have all kinds of information on how to fight unfair laws. The Institute for Justice is a group of lawyers that fight for economic freedom rights that are granted by the 14th Amendment. Food vendors are only one of many business types they represent. So tattoo artists and hair braid artists and all kind of multitude of small businesses they represent because there's always somebody that says, well, you can't do this because you need X, Y, and Z. And they're treating them differently than some other business. So this is completely different than an official just giving your own information. That's why you're asking to see the rule. Because it could be they're just the ones that are, are misinformed. So when they give you the rule and they're still standing by whatever they say that you can't vend, you want to ask them for the interpretation memos or the guidance memos that typically are written around rules to explain why we're doing this rule and why it should be enforced in a certain manner. What you may find is a lot of rules are written intentionally vague, so it creates lots of gray areas, which in turn create enforcement inconsistencies. So if you run across a rule that's vague and inconsistent, that means you're probably going to run across a misinterpretation or you're going to run across unfair enforcement. And that's definitely a fight that you need to pick and you're going to win because a rule or a law or regulation has to treat everyone fairly. What you want to do if they're telling you you can't vend here is look on Facebook and see who is vending. Because if one exists, so can you. But if you look on Facebook and there's nobody vending in your area, then it might be an uphill battle. It just means no one has had the guts enough to stand up to City Hall and say, you're a group of idiots. We're going to get this law stricken down. Here's how I'm going to do it. You might want to go ahead and change it now before it just costs you a whole big bunch of money. Because remember, you want to set up legally. That way you can sleep at night and follow all the rules and regulations. You pay your taxes on time. Everything's good. You don't have to worry about looking over your shoulder constantly because that's no way to run a business. So I want to explain a little bit of why things are so different from one state to one county, even within the same state. It's all different. The U.S. has the Federal Drug Administration who controls the food code. And they write the food code every four years or rewrite it. Basically, they update it. So our next update is this year. Usually they do it October, November, which means that you should start hearing memos coming out from your health inspector saying, guess what, guys? We're going to be making this change on this particular product and it's going to take effect at a certain time. So there'll be changes coming up in the next year or so. That's at the federal level. Now what happens at the state level is each state will add, change, or delete parts of the code to ensure that their other laws that they have in other areas on the books don't conflict with the federal code. For example, the federal code restricts use of raw milk. And raw milk is milk that comes directly from a cow. The milk that you get in the grocery store is pasteurized and is significantly more safe to drink. But there are, or there is one state rather, that makes that exception. So they delete that whole section about raw milk. And they allow businesses to run, they allow businesses rather to sell raw milk, unpasteurized milk. So that's why states are different because they have conflicting rules and regulations already on the books. So Rather than change those, they just strike whatever they need to strike on the federal level. Then they copy and paste the rest of them and make that their official guide or their official rules. And it leads, leads to a ton of confusion because there are some states that allow the county level to modify more. And then some cities can modify even more. So that's why it's just a huge mess. At the state level, we still have a state. I'm not going to call it out, but there's a state that's still using the 1995 code. 
And then there's another state where they just let the counties, they just kind of threw up their hands and say, eh, we don't care. The county level can decide what code they use. So bordering counties can use a code from 2013 and one from 2017. Not much differences, but there's a couple. So it makes it really confusing to drive across those state lines to be able to be in compliance with a different county. So if you're planning your business to operate from a single city or county, then all you got to do is know one code. But if your dream includes traveling a circuit, say going from different state fairs to different state fairs, or working from different county fairs to any different county fairs within your state, you got to know a whole bunch more laws and also make sure that you can adapt to those laws. I will give you an example. In Georgia, a hot dog cart has to have four sinks. Okay, pretty simple. But if you also live close enough to Florida that you want to cross into Florida and do some vending, Florida requires only one sink. So now you got three sinks that had to be covered up, modified in some way to even get that food vending license for Florida. The states have requirements on how your license is displayed on the card itself. So you'd end up having two different sets of license numbers. And if I'm not mistaken, the height for the numbers is a different height. So you'll have one that has slightly bigger numbers than the other one. So there are differences from state to state. It's not impossible to get licensed in two states, but you'll have some things you got to work out as far as making your equipment meet both states' requirements. You can use temporary permits. Temporary permits have a lower threshold of approval. So if you're primarily working in Georgia and only coming to Florida occasionally, you can get a temporary permit to work an event or county fair or something in Florida. And that would work as well. Okay, so by this point in your journey, you should have researched information and taken a whole bunch of notes. You started at the city level. You've gone to the county level. You've gone to the state level and gotten checklists of what they expect you to do to start a business and then to also start a food business. You've gotten an EIN, which is from the federal government. You may have a state-level EIN, or you may not. Some states just take the federal level. Some states will issue you one. You will need to have looked into the fictitious name rules. I haven't mentioned that in any of the podcasts, but on those checklists you've been getting, it's probably had some mention of that. You need to know the mobile vending restrictions at the city and county level. You need to know the food codes for what you're going to operate, whether it's a cart or a trailer, and how they apply to your menu and to your equipment. You need to understand how to collect the sales taxes at the city, the county, and the state level. You should have a list of people you've been talking to with contact names and numbers. You should know all of the permits you need. Again, city, county, state. And you should know if you need the fire inspections. You should know if you need peddler permits, all those different permits. You need to know if you need them and how much they cost. And that's to get you started on the road. The next step will be doing your menu. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about the easy way to business ownership. And that's buying an existing business and then some of the pitfalls you might encounter. If you're enjoying our chats, please support the podcast by clicking that support button and giving a monthly donation. If your budget only has room for a one-time donation, I got you covered. There's a link in the description for that as well. Either way, it means the world to me, and I really do appreciate anything you guys can do. Being around like-minded, positive people keeps you in the right frame of mind to handle all the issues I've been talking about this week. We have a group on Facebook. It's called Food Truck Training. Join us. We are a group of positive, like-minded people. We want to help you succeed. Thank you guys so much for listening, and as always, stay profitable, my friends.